name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. There was like this uh, documentary series on CNN. Um, it was called like the 90s. Like they had one called the 80s, and they had one called the 90s, where they kind of like highlighted the big events that happened throughout the decade. So it's kind of cool, like, you know, it was kind of bringing back a lot of childhood memories, seeing the stuff from the 90s. One of the things, obviously, I wasn't aware of when I was a kid, but watching the documentary, I was aware of it. Like, televangelists were a big thing. Televangelists were a huge thing in, in the 90s. And, and they were talking about this one televangelist who was at the top of his, you know, he was extremely popular, very influential, but then came down to nothing and had a bunch of lawsuits and, and, and went bankrupt. And what was fascinating about it is that he had this, this, he was so smart of how to manipulate the people in preaching, which is dangerous and kind of scary. But he manipulated the people. And they highlighted three ways in which he became filthy rich to the point, which is kind of weird, is that he actually um, like built like an amusement park, basically. I don't even remember his name. He built like a park for like Christians to come. But it was just like an unbelievable amount of money. So he used three strategies in order to gain more money. He, used, he manipulated them in order for them to continue to give more. He instilled guilt in them. He made them feel bad if they did not give. He instilled guilt in them to make sure that they gave. And then they, they said, you're not spiritual. He would say it in a very Christian way. He would say, you're not spiritual unless you give. You're not spiritual unless you give. So of course, you don't want to feel like dirt. You don't want to feel bad. So you have to give. You have to fund you know, his helicopter. You have to fund the park. You got to fund the private jet. You got to fund all this. So in order to feel spiritual, to feel like you're doing something good, you fund these projects. I'm not saying anything against him, but I found it was fascinating and scary all at the same time how he was able to manipulate hundreds of thousands of people in order to gain money. Obviously not for the kingdom. This gospel which I'm sure you have heard before. Why? I'm pretty sure you've heard it before. Because not only did this event happen once, it happened multiple times. Not only did it happen multiple times, it was recorded in all four manuscripts of Jesus' life. It was recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So from four different perspectives and research and eyewitness accounts, we have this event occurring multiple times. Multiple times. And the essence of this event. The essence of this entire event comes down to a mathematical formula. One plus one. Here's, uh, I, I love how the, the New King James says lad. I mean, I don't know anybody that uses the word lad, but we have a kid. We have a boy, a lad. He comes to Jesus with his basket of, of his lunchbox. Basket of his lunchbox? His lunchbox. A basket of his food that his mom gave him. You have five loaves and two fish. Five pieces of bread and two fish. And he's coming and bringing it to Jesus. This is a one plus one mathematical formula. Why am I saying this? Here is a boy bringing whatever he has to Jesus. What sparked him to give it to Jesus in the first place? Let me kind of give a background to make sure we're all on the same page. Jesus has been preaching for hours and hours and hours. Everyone is tired and want to go home. It's getting late. So the disciples say, Jesus, come on. Like, you know, it's kind of getting late. Let's just call it a day. You can continue to tomorrow. It's okay. We got time. You're God. And, 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 and Jesus says, well, no, you know, they should stay, you know, and the, the disciples are like, well, we don't have any food. Like, they need to go back into town and grab some, some food and stuff. And Jesus says, well, actually, you do something about that. The disciples are like, uh, okay. And then here comes a boy that was overhearing this conversation between Jesus and the disciples. And the boy says, well, 
here you go, Jesus. Here is my one. Here is my one. I'm a lad. I'm a kid. I don't know that much. But here's my lunchbox. Here, I give it to you. One plus one. The other one is that this boy is curious, interested, intrigued, hungry for who Jesus is. And he comes, his one lunchbox, to this one rabbi, and a multi-generational impact occurred. One plus one led to a multi-generational impact to occur at this event. What on earth do I mean? One plus one, you would think Jesus, like logically, our logic would say, you give me your lunch after church, I say thank you, and I go and eat it in my office. That's one for one. You give me something, I say I give you back thank you. And that's the end of the day. That logically makes sense. Every worldview can agree on that. But here's a one plus one equals a multi-generational impact. Why do I say that? Here comes a boy with his lunchbox, it intersecting God himself, and God blessing that lunchbox. What occurred from that moment? Not only did thousands of people eat, but we have evidence of this transforming the lives of thousands of people that were in attendance to hear Jesus. We have Jewish records of other Jewish people sitting there that recorded this event, that they saw that they had nothing, and all of a sudden, there's tons of baskets going around for everyone to have food. What do you think impacted? If you, were, if you, you and your family are sitting there out in the grass, and you're hearing Jesus, you're kind of, you're buying it, kind of not, curious, a little bit hesitant, you're a little bit skeptic, totally understandable. All of a sudden, you get a free sandwich, which you knew came out of nowhere. What do you think will occur in your life? We'd be like, whoa, that was cool. You know, what's going on tomorrow? No. You would question everything. You would lean in more toward who Jesus is. It changed, transformed that family. It transformed their kids' lives. It, then the word started to spread. It led to a multi-generational impact. How? By one plus one. One plus one led to a multi-generational impact. This alone transcends our logic. Let's face it. We do one-to-one -one all the time. You go to work, which is your one, in order to receive one thing back, that deposit, that check. I put out my hand to shake. Imagine no COVID. Imagine I put out your hand to shake. I expect that's my one. What do I reciprocate back? It's one. I go in for the hug. You give me a hug. There's a one-to-one. -one. Most marriages, unfortunately, are built on the foundation of one plus one. I'm coming in with this. What are you bringing? Hey, I took out the trash last time. It's your turn. It was, uh, you know, it, that was your show. Now it's my show. I did, the, I did the dishes last time, so now it's your turn. It's one for one. You scratch my back, and I'll scratch yours. It's a compromise. It's a partnership. Eventually, don't take my words. Look at history. Look at science. Look at data of marriages. Eventually, that will implode. Eventually, that will implode. What do you bring to the table? And we kind of meet 50-50. Naturally, that will implode. But many things, not just marriage, many things in our world are run by a one-to-one. -one. Imagine I'm a farmer. And I have five seeds. And you tell me, you know, what are you doing, Father Nate? You're a farmer. You're supposed to plant that in order for it to grow. And I say, 
Are you kidding me? These are my only five seeds. You want me to, you, what do you want me to do? You want me to just throw it on the dirt, on the ground. You want, me to, you want me to hide it and bury it and then put some water and which I'll never see those five seeds again. You want me to do that? Are you kidding me? What, what happens? What, what happens in the, then I'm going to have zero seeds left? What do you want me to do at that point? Imagine I describe to you my fear, my anxiety of losing my five seeds. You would think you, that you're definitely not a farmer. You would say you have no idea how farming uh, occurs. You would think I'm dumb if I told you that. If I, if, I if I expressed to you my anxiety, my fear of losing my five seeds, you would think I'm crazy. We do this every single day. We do this every single day. We hold on. We hold on to a status, to a career, to something that gives us comfort, which could be toxic, could be unhealthy, but we hold on to it. Could be our finances. We hold on to it. We do not want to let go. And we lost sight of the essence of how giving works. I give the seed to the ground. Scientifically, we know what occurs. Biologically, we know what occurs. But we do not want to apply that logic to other aspects of our life. Why? Out of fear. What you hold on to the most will determine the degree in which you want God to work in you and through you. Again, what you hold on to the most will determine the degree in which you want God to work in you and through you. What you hold on to, to most is a direct correlation to how much you are inviting God to work. The more I let go of one seed and two seed and three seed, there's a direct correlation of the fruit that will occur. It's a one-to-one -one ratio. The more I let go, which illogically it makes sense. I'm, 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 I'm starving, but I'm not going to let go of my seeds. It's illogical. But the more I let go, the more I will see the fruit. The more we, forget you let go of something. Do you even see what you hold on to? Do you even see what you hold on to? What do you hold on to that is yours? I have nothing against, like I'm all for self-care, time for yourself, your show, bath, whatever the case might be. I'm all for that. But do you hold on to that so tightly, to that show, to that time to yourself, that if someone affects that, you'll, you'll all hell breaks loose. You just give it to them. This is my time, how, how dare you, whatever. Maybe your status, your career, if someone doesn't give you the, the, the respect that's due from your, from your career, what is your response to them? Your finances. You hold on to it so tightly. And I get it. It's fear. Do you hold on to it so tightly that you're not inviting God to work in it or through it? Forget it. You. We hold on to it so tightly. And we lose sight. We want God to work. But I'm holding on to this. Okay, God, you can work. But, but, but my, my career, my, 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 my followers, my status, my social circle, my, my, my vacations. Well, no one's doing vacation these days. But my thing, that, that, that's what I'm holding on to. It's hard to think of analogies in the midst of COVID. <laughs> what are you holding on to? You're holding on to so tightly. But you say, I want God to work. That's why you're here. It doesn't make sense. But we do it every day. It wouldn't make sense if I was a farmer doing the same thing. I want to speak logic. 
The more I give in any capacity, in any sense, I'm talking about the virtue of giving. I'm not talking about specifically finances. What you hold on to the most, whatever that is for you, it might be a relationship. It might be a, a, your own personal time. It might be your, your Friday nights. Whatever, what, what do you hold on to the most, which is preventing God's work in you and through you? What do you hold on to the most in which there is no room, there's no cushion in order for God to work in you and through you? But the more you give, the more you are letting go of fear. The more you give, the more you are letting go of fear. Now, that's a one-to-one -one right there. The more you give, the more you let go of fear. There is crazy statistics as far as millennials and Generation Z. I'm, I'm millennial, but Generation Z would be someone younger. There's crazy statistics that show, I don't want to date. I don't want to take that step with that career. I don't want to make that move. I don't want to send that application. Why? Fear is paralyzing us. Obviously, it's not just a Generation Z thing. It's a, human, it's a human thing. But now the fear and anxiety has elevated to a whole new level. Of course, social media has a huge influence on that. But I'm saying fear and anxiety has paralyzed our society. And fear controls us. That's why we want to hold on to everything we possibly can, thinking this will give me comfort. Those new headphones, that new phone will give me comfort. This little trip will give me comfort. This, this new show will give me comfort. We hold on to anything to run away from fear and anxiety. And we lost sight. The entire essence of how to overcome fear is to give. And people go into marriage with that mindset. That, it, that I, I'm unable to give. What am I getting in? This is why I love to ask people after, after a few days, how are things going? Well, she has this quality. She has that. Are, are you working that within yourself? It's all about what am I receiving? Are you giving? Are you building that virtue within yourself? Because the essence and virtue of giving helps us overcome us being paralyzed by fear and anxiety. How are we giving? The more I give, the more I am letting go of mine. It's mine. If you don't know what that is, just hang out for 20 minutes with a three-year-old or a four-year-old. You can rent mine if you need. But just spend, just spend 20 minutes. Spend 20 minutes with a four-year-old and see. It's, it's embedded into our broken nature. Mine. It's mine. The more I give, the more I'm letting go of that mindset that controls us. Fear. Mine. This consumes us and pushes us down, and we lose sight of God through it. I'm not, I, I don't, the step two question is, how can you give? I don't want, that, that's a step two question. Step two, uh, step one, what do you hold on to? What do you hold on to? Forget how can you give. I, I don't, that's, that's part two sermon. We don't have time for that. Part one. What do you hold on to? Is it continuously refreshing your bank accounts? Is it getting push notifications for every transaction? Hold on to that. I have to know where things are. What do you hold on to? Hold on to a certain amount of likes for what I posted on social media. I hold on to that. What do you hold on to? that gives you a little bit of comfort that you hold on to, that it gives you that temporary closure. What do you hold on to? Giving is not a prescription. I want to make this clear. Giving is not a prescription. 
Giving is the path. Let me explain what that means. Giving is not a prescription. It's not, if I give this, then God's going to work like this. It's not a one-to-one -one transaction. Why? Because God transcends our logic. God transcends time. God transcends materials and for it to point to something eternal. So it's not a one-to-one. -one. But what do you hold on to so tightly? Giving is the path, not the prescription. It's the path that leads to life. I give without expecting anything in return, knowing I know how God works. I know that he's going to take this, me letting loose of my status, my career, my finances, whatever. Me letting go of this, I'm giving cushion, I'm giving God room to work, to feed the seeds, to grow the seeds, to produce vegetation, to produce more fruit in my life. I know that. How, when, where, that's not my territory. But I know 100% this is the mechanism, this is the path in which God works. But the prerequisite is do I have the spirit of giving? Apply this virtue in conversation. Apply this in your conversations with family and friends. How do you give of yourself as an active listener? Apply this to your career. Apply this to your finances. The list can go on. I'm talking about the virtue, not the execution of the virtue. Giving is the path, not the prescription. In our mind, we want the prescription. So if I do this, that means this is going to happen in my life. So if I just apply for this, then this is going to happen. If I take this vaccine, then I'm going to be sick. We, we, everything is a one-to-one -to, -one to us in our world. God doesn't work like that. It is the path, not the prescription. But forget all that. I just want you to pray today. What do you hold on to? What do you hold on to? Which is sacred. No one can intervene in that aspect of your life. That gives you a little bit of security, a little bit of comfort, something that eases the fear and anxiety. What do you hold on to so much? And which maybe there is an, a desire in you for God to enter that. Out of fear, you say, God can have everything else, but this, no thank you. What is that? The boy gave. It led to a multi-generational impact. A lunchbox. We give bread. We give wine. So what? It's dough. It's water. But God transcends those elements to give eternal food. A house blessing. It's just water. So what? Why do we need water? We're asking God to transcend this visible element for God's invisible grace to work. I'm so happy of the elementary class. They're talking about the sacraments now in their, in their class. And the entire essence of a sacrament. It's something visible, and God intersects what is visible in order to point to what is invisible. The, bread, the, the five loaves and two fish, it's visible. But God intervenes, God blesses, God intersects the five loaves and two fish. What do you want to give in order for God to intervene in? If that boy decided to say, man, that stinks for all these 5,000 people, there's no lunch for them, I'm going to enjoy what Mama cook, uh, put in my lunchbox. He could easily said that. But he could have missed out on how God wanted to work, not only through him, but the thousands of other people. What if that one thing that you're scared to let go of, what if God wants to use that? What if God wants to use that? to make a multi-generational impact? What if God wants to use that one thing that you're scared to let go of? What if God wants to use that to make a multi-generational impact? Where do you need to give? Where do you need to give? Where it makes you a little bit uncomfortable. Where do you need to give that makes you a little bit uncomfortable? It is not the prescription. It is the path that leads to life. 
I want us to put that in prayer today. What is the one thing that you're holding on to tightly? The next step, I want you to kind of digest that throughout the week. But right now, this morning, I want you to pray now. I want you to pray this morning. What do you hold on to so tightly that there is not even any room for God to work? That woman, sorry, last thing I'll say, I promise. That woman came to Jesus threw $100,000 worth of perfume at Jesus' feet. She wasn't expecting, okay, Jesus, I wash your feet. What are you going to do now? She said, this is the path. This is the path that leads me to life. What God wants to do next, what my Savior wants to do next, that's his department. This is the path that leads to my life. The boy gave, not expecting one, a one-to-one -one response, but he knew this is what leads to life. What do you hold on to tightly? To him be all the glory forever and ever. Amen.